What's going on, everyone, and welcome in to this edition of Be Shaped Daily. It's the evening hours of Sunday, June 11th, 2023, and the Cardinals have lost another series. Won the first game on Friday against the Cincinnati Reds, lost 8-4 on Saturday, and then Sunday, a 4-3 loss to the Reds, in which just about every fundamental aspect of the game, the Cardinals fell short is how I look at Sunday's game. 4-3, to three, another close game, another one-run game that the Cardinals come out on the wrong side of. They're now 7-15 and 15 on the season in one-run games. Only the Padres are worse in MLB in one-run games. The Cardinals have 15 losses in one-run games. It's just mind-boggling how poorly this team has fared under those circumstances. And again, fundamentals, I think, right now are at the core issue of what's going wrong with this Cardinals team. So we'll talk about it tonight on B-Shape Daily as we get into a lineup that is virtually slumping right now from top to bottom. Talk about some of the guys struggling because I know there are those that get a lot of the headlines for when they struggle. Paul DeYoung is probably the uh, patron saint of that when it comes to Cardinals fans. And yeah, he's been really, really rough at the plate recently. He's not the only one. And you add that up, DeYoung and several others that are struggling offensively right now, and you get a team that, particularly in the clutch, has not been able to come through. Runners in scoring position, it's been a nightmare for the Cardinals recently. There are fundamental issues going on defensively. There are fundamental issues going on in terms of failed execution from a pitching staff that has generally been a lot stronger of late, but in some fundamental areas, they made some mistakes, and this happened on Sunday, that the Cardinals just can't afford right now. And so we'll talk about deconstructing what happened on Sunday. And, man, what do you even change at this point, I think, is another question that we we could bring up. Because it's amazing nowadays, I go on Twitter, and I will see dozens of suggestions of things like confidently stated by Cardinals fans because you guys are passionate and you follow what's going on. And so every but everybody's got their own passionate thought about what this team needs to do and sometimes those are all very different thoughts like a lot of people agree maybe less playing time for Paul Young when he's not hitting well uh, you know some things like that but it's interesting that you could come up with 5 10 15 20 different answers for what people say is the big problem Contreras batting fifth how could he continue to bat fifth yeah yeah you're probably right um Jordan Hicks not being able to get the first batter that he faces in a relief appearance yeah that's a problem like you could you could, you could all say something different, and there's a pretty good chance that a lot of you are still going to be right about the thing that bugs you the most about the way the Cardinals are playing right now. So that's where things are. It is a really bad spot to be. The Cardinals are still dead last in the division, and the, the Reds expanded their lead on the Cardinals over the weekend with uh, taking two out of three from St. Louis. Uh, the Reds playing some decent baseball at this point to climb up to third place, and they're only three games out of first place in the division. The Cardinals, though, are eight games back of the Pirates, currently the team in first. Thank goodness for the Oakland Athletics because they swept Milwaukee over the weekend. Milwaukee's sitting a game behind Pittsburgh. The Cardinals still only eight games out of it, which is kind of crazy, but that's eight games is still a pretty good number. It's just It feels like it should be much larger of a deficit given the way things are are going right now for the Cardinals. So appreciate you guys for being here with me. Make sure you follow B-Shape Daily on Spotify and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe over to the YouTube channel as well. It's Brendan Schaefer, St. Louis Cardinals writer. If you type 
just my name into the search bar on YouTube. I'm sure you'll be able to find it. Just spell it right. It's spelled a little weird. Uh, but you can refer to my Twitter to find out how it's spelled, at bshafer12 on Twitter. And if you just want to punch it into your uh, your URL bar, youtube.com slash at bshafer12 will get you to the channel. Make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel for all kinds of Cardinals content throughout the entire season and into the off season, which at this point has the potential to maybe be more interesting than the actual season with the way things are going for the Cardinals. So let's go ahead and jump into Sunday's game. Full disclosure, didn't really watch or pay too close attention to things going on Saturday. Uh, was not at the ball game. I mentioned on the last episode on the live stream that we did Friday that I'd be at uh, my parish picnic on Saturday, which I was. Uh, but for Sunday's game, I was there, and it's the kind of game that if you were there, you wish you weren't if you're a Cardinal fan because they just they just don't have it right now. I don't know even where to begin with it. We'll talk about Adam Wainwright first because I feel like he's, when I mentioned, yeah, Cardinals fans might have dozens of different answers for things that need to happen. There will be some Cardinals fans that say, hey, Adam Wainwright needs to be out of this rotation. I don't agree with those people uh, because if you look at his recent numbers, they're not strong. They're not great, but he's really kind of stabilized compared to where he had been, which, uh, you know, it's all kind of relative in terms of whether or not you're satisfied by that, and it's okay not to be. The 41-year-old, not off to a strong start to this season. However, you look back over some of his recent outings, and for the most part, he's at least kind of keeping him in. This is the third game in a row where he went five and change innings, allowing three runs. Did it against Texas last week. Did it previous to that in a game against the Royals. That's kind of been the standard for Wainwright recently. He once again was unable to get through six. This was his seventh start of the season that he had on Sunday at Bush. And for the fifth time, he pitched. He threw a pitch in the sixth inning for the fifth time. And for the fifth time, he did not throw the final pitch of the sixth inning. Could not get out of the inning. And he'll talk about the soft contact, and that was right. But the takeaway goes back to fundamentals, which... It's hard to call a pitcher walking a batter and say that's a, a factor in fundamentals, but I think in this particular instance, it can be considered that way. When you think about the batter that he was facing, and certainly when we get to Jordan Hicks, it was a very similar situation. Ellie De La Cruz, the shortstop for the Reds, who I believe was playing third base today, but one of their top prospects, one of the top prospects in all of MLB, was called up a couple of days prior to this weekend series kicking off between the Cardinals and Reds at Bush. And I had tweeted out after, I, th- I think he hit a walk-off home run against the Dodgers, and he had a triple that broke the sprint speed record from home to third. He's a five-tool athlete that can do a little bit of everything. Had a 96-mile-per-hour throw from shortstop that registered today at the third hardest thrown ball by a shortstop of the season, something like that. He's doing a little bit of everything, and he's a stat cast darling for sure. But on Sunday, and I had tweeted this out Friday, that he's going to be a problem this weekend for the Cardinals, and they handled him pretty well on Friday. I think Montgomery struck him out three times. Sunday was kind of that the embodiment of that problem, right? I think he only hit one ball out of the infield, but it didn't matter. He used his speed to kind of take direct advantage of the Cardinals in the way that they're struggling with fundamentals. And an example of this was, well, first of all, he had an infield hit where he beat Adam Wainwright to the bag. At least they said he did. Wainwright did beat him to the bag. The Cardinals didn't challenge it because they had an issue with their replay room. If you were wondering, like, why in the world did they not challenge it? 
Ali Marmel said after the game that they attempted to, and they called the replay room and the video room, and no, nobody picked up. And they tried to call back, but they only have, you know, the 15 seconds or whatever before the umpires want to move the game along. And so Cardinals did not get a chance to challenge it because they decided, well, we don't want to do it blindly in the first inning and potentially lose our challenge here. Although they ended up challenging, I think, at the bottom of the inning on a play that they they did not get correctly. Uh, Paul Goldschmidt trying to steal second base. Anyway, Cardinals decide there not to challenge. Wainwright did technically beat Ellie to the bag in case you were kind of wondering why the heck they didn't attempt to challenge that. But that was just an example of how he can make a relatively routine play close, and he's got the kind of speed to do it. In the sixth inning, though, he has a good battle with Wainwright. It goes 3-2. I think he had multiple 3-2 pitches. Eventually, Waino loses him, walks him. And that's where he gets a chance to impact the game from the bases. Steals second base, moves up to third on a sacrifice fly to deep left center field. And I, I the ball was hit to the warning track at least. And so other runners being savvy probably could have tagged up there, but it, was, it wasn't even a close play with Ellie running. And he gets to third base. And then the little bloop that happens to Wainwright, the soft contact comes into play. And Reds tie the game there 3-3. Three to three. It's just an example of the way you can you can have small ball work in your favor. The Cardinals have been on the other side of these things lately. And it's frustrating because typically you think of the Cardinals as the type of organization that wants to do those things to other teams. And this year, the small ball, the little things, the fundamental baseball, it's just completely evaded them. It's evaded them in the field as an example in the eighth inning. So, again, Wainwright walking De La Cruz, that's just not a guy that you want to put on base for free. It's not It's it's not like I want to rip Wayno too hard for that one because it was a, a deep count, 3-2 pitch. I think he fouled off a pitch or two, and Wayno ends up losing him. It, it, ideally, you don't do that. But when the guy can hit the ball as hard and as far as he can if you make a mistake within the strike zone, I do understand being careful with him, but that's the danger of it with a guy like De La Cruz. He can take a base on you, and next thing you know, he's in scoring position anyway. And uh, Wainwright talked about, yep, the soft contact got him. It did, but the walk is the thing that set up that soft contact for sure. Similar situation in the eighth inning. 3-3 game. Cardinals don't score any runs because you'd have to you know hit with runners in scoring position to do that. They're 1-for-11 on the day with risk. We'll get a little bit more into their offense after we kind of recap De La Cruz's day. But in the eighth inning, another fundamental issue. This is core fundamentals. You cannot walk the first guy you face as a reliever coming into a ballgame. And Jordan Hicks has now done it seven times this year. And for it to be De La Cruz, after what he did in the sixth inning on the bases, you go, okay, you are absolutely asking for trouble. And this is so predictable that I I basically did predict it as it was happening. I started kind of documenting through tweets what was happening here. I said, you really can't afford to walk Ellie De La Cruz multiple times in one game. It's a really bad strategy. He's running on the pitch, 3-2 pitch with the next batter up. The Reds avoid the double play as a result. So they send him on a 3-2 pitch. It's a ground ball to short. Would have been a, a tailor-made 6-4-3 double play. But the Reds now taking a little bit of advantage of knowing that the Cardinals have not been sharp, right? They're doing the little things right. In Cincinnati, Cardinals not so much. So they move him to second base. It's amazing to deconstruct this. And then Ellie makes third on a pass ball. And I said there, you can sort of see the blueprint here. And he scores on a ground ball to short. Contreras couldn't hold the throw from DeYoung, which was thrown to the first base side of home plate instead of the third base side where Contreras would then not have to 
try to pull off a, a very quick swipe tag with a very fast runner bearing down on him. No, DeYoung throws it to the wrong side of the plate. The, whether he rushed the throw because he heard the footsteps, he knows he's a fast runner. It doesn't matter. It's fundamental baseball. Bad throw by DeYoung. Contreras tries to make something out of it. Couldn't do it. The fact that he was on third base to begin with was because Jordan Hicks basically crosses up Contreras. And this is another thing that I think is really interesting. Coming home from the game on Friday, I was listening a little bit to the KMOX uh, post-game show that they do sometimes on Fridays. I don't even know what restaurant or, or, or hotel lobby they're doing it from these days. Uh, but, you know, kind of like the, the live at Shannon's feel it used to be. But they still do that show with uh, the, the different broadcasters. I heard John Rooney on there. I heard Klaibs on there and uh, Rick Horton, of course. And I think they were interviewing Scott Spezio, and they were talking about catchers in the modern game, how the game has maybe changed from just even 15 to 20 years ago at the catcher position. And they were talking about how different teams and different catching coaching philosophies, they want to prioritize different aspects of being a catcher. And so what one organization may prioritize about the position, another organization may not. And I forget who it was, but one of the the guys on the show was kind of griping about how often you see catchers these days drop down to one knee to receive a pitch. And they talked about how, you know, some organizations might be all right with that because you want to try and prioritize framing that low strike so you can get the umpire and just the different eye levels and the nature of being on one knee rather than, you know, still in your catcher crouch position traditionally maybe gets you an advantage in that way. And it's exactly what Contreras was doing, and he does it relatively often, but he was doing it here expecting a slider from Hicks and looking to kind of set up low and away, had the glove middle, maybe to middle away, and you'd think that slider would sweep across the zone and he could catch it and try to get a little bit of a chase, or maybe you you can frame it on the, the lower outside corner. That was, I think, the plan going into this pitch between Hicks and Contreras. So he's on that one knee, and then the slider, you know, you miss location by 18 inches, and it backs up on Hicks on the inside part of the plate, uh, inside and off the plate to a right-handed hitter, and Contreras is not able to, to haul it in because he's thinking low and away, He's on a knee, so he's not in a great position to adjust when the pitch doesn't come the way he expects it. If you go back and look, it's exactly what happened. And he just kind of has to stab. Well, he chooses to stab at it. Whether there was anything else he could have done, I'm not going to pretend to know because, again, I I don't think I could catch Jordan Hicks. But Contreras seems to be having his own trouble doing so as well. Mislocation, backup slider, ends up being a pass ball that moves De La Cruz from second to third. And now the Cardinals go with their drawn-in infield that they love oh so much to do because they don't ever want to give away a run. Uh, it was like the first batter of the game today, and Arenado was charging at third like he thought a bunt was coming. He plays so far in, and he's a gold glover every single year that he's ever played. So who am I? But I always see that. I'm like, man, that is just, you give up so much in that. But anyway, infield in actually works out. Ground ball right to Paul DeYoung. Perfect. And then he can't complete the throw. It's fundamentals. It is absolutely infiltrating every area of the game for the Cardinals. I kind of break it down defensively. And when you're missing on the fundamentals of some of those things, which, again, L.A. De La Cruz, two walks, two runs scored on those plays. He had an RBI single earlier in the game. He had that infield hit as well. And the Cardinals only walked three batters all day. The first two were De La Cruz and both times he scored, as we just kind of talked about. And the last time I thought was kind of interesting, they walked India directly ahead of De La Cruz in the ninth inning. 
And I made the joke that I think they did that because they were trying to stay out of the infield hit because it was a ground ball to second base, kind of a slow ground ball, where De La Cruz, if there were nobody on base and you hit that, he probably beats out the infield single. But because there was a runner, India, on first because of the walk, they were able to force him out at second to end the inning. It's, I mean, that's the level of athleticism I think you're talking about with De La Cruz is that, yeah, to stay out of the infield hit, you had to have a guy on first so you could force him at second just in case he would hit a ground ball up the middle. Three walks on the day, two of them to De La Cruz, and both of them turn into runs. So it's not like the Cardinals pitching staff was terribly wild today or they lacked a ton of command. It just happened to occur in a couple of spots that you you just can't afford to walk that guy. You cannot afford to continue putting that guy on base with that kind of speed. He's going to make you pay. And he did make the Cardinals pay. They found ways to do it in the eighth inning. You you move up on a on a wild pitch. You steal a base. You you send the runner with hit and run. Like the Reds were doing everything correct in terms of fundamentals and the Cardinals are bereft right now of fundamentals. And that's defensively where it is a fundamental aspect. And then there's the other aspect of the Cardinals' defense that they can't really do anything about because they're trying to figure out how to get all these bats that they need in the lineup like Jordan Walker, and they're trying to figure out where to play these guys to maximize their defensive alignment. Jordan Walker can't play outfield right now, I think, for a team that is trying to contend. And it's not his fault. I think it's the result of a plan that just was not very very well thought out to be totally honest. The Cardinals waited until after the trade of Harrison Bader to say, all right, we got to make Jordan Walker an outfielder. Even though they knew Nolan Arenado existed before that and that he was going to be under contract with this team for a long, long time. But it wasn't until after the Bader trade and the last July that they moved Walker to full-time outfield. And so he plays it for a few months and then he goes into the offseason knowing that's going to be his position, goes into spring training and plays it a lot down there. But he just does not have those instincts, I think, built up. And he's a great athlete. I think someday it could come for him. But right now, it's it's learning on the fly, and it's not going all that well. His range is just for – he's got good good foot speed, but his instincts uh, ball off the bat. And then the, the range to be able to get to the balls that are uh, relatively, you know, 20, 30 feet away from his body, whatever it would be. And then the confidence to be able to know – do I come in on this and make an aggressive play at it, or do I need to play it a little bit safe because I don't want to have happen what happened on Saturday where a ball gets by me and goes all the way to the wall, right? Like, he is caught in between in left field. I would much, much rather see him in right field. Even though I, I got this question, like, do you think Walker would be better suited to left field because the angle of the hits is similar to what you would see over at third base because it's the same side of the field? I think don't put him in left field because more balls get hit to left field because more right-handed batters exist and they pull the ball. I I just don't I, I just don't think it's working for Jordan Walker out there. And it's again, it's not his fault. And it's not necessarily what I speak of when I'm talking about the fundamental issues for this Cardinals team, because that's to be expected. A learning curve for a guy that has played outfield for ten months in his life is to be expected. But it's glaring as an issue for the Cardinals when you compare it and and place it alongside all of these other things that are going on. It's just like earlier in the season when the Cardinals decided that Walker needed to go back to the minors in order to try and lift the ball in the air more instead of hitting it on the ground as much as he was. It's like, all right, that's normally something if your numbers are okay, you can probably just work through that at the big league level, right? Do it against big league pitching and adjust. That's what they praised Walker for back in spring, why they had so much confidence in the first place to 
bring him north with the big club to start the season was because of his ability to adjust and adapt to, to failure and to situations where it doesn't go you know, the way you want it to go, but to be able to come out on the other side of that and learn from it. That was part of what they pumped his tires for and said he was going to be so mature and, and good at, at figuring those things out. But then they send him down because of, they say, well, you got to hit the ball in the air more and we really want to. And it's like a noble cause. We've said it's a noble cause. It's a valid thing to want. But realistically, is that like the way most teams go about saying, hey, we're going to let this guy who's playing okay offensively go back down. But it's it wasn't only that. The Cardinals were losing a bunch of games. They didn't know if they had regular playing time for him, especially as they started to feel the pressure a little bit of his poor outfield play hindering the pitching staff, hindering the team. And so they had to sort of, you know, bubble wrap this whole thing and say, we we can't put him out there right now. Now I think they're back in a similar position where offensively he's coming around. I think he's going to continue to to do a nice job and, and only going to improve as time goes on. The same can be said for his work in the outfield, but the, the learning curve is going to be much more substantial there. And I just don't know how they continue to do it. Uh, they, they might just say, yep, it's just – the price we're going to pay because we have to stop kind of yanking this guy around. It's just like they haven't really put him in a position to succeed, in my opinion, where if you say, yeah, he's going to be an outfielder, but he he's just not up to par defensively in the outfield at this point. Ball's dropping in front of him. He, he's kind of lost the confidence after what happened Saturday on one of those balls that got by him. It's kind of a tough situation for a young player who is going to be, who, who I, I still expect to be a, a longtime mainstay star for this Cardinals team for years to come. It's just one example of, well, if it was just that and it weren't all the other fundamental issues going on with the Cardinals at the same time, it wouldn't be all that noticeable and glaring because the Cardinals would probably be around 500, maybe a little above 500 working their way through the season. But they're having so many other issues that, you can't really live with that when you compare it and go, well, and, and then there's this Jordan Walker thing in the outfield on top of it. It's like, well, that is the one thing I guess you can know how to fix or change because you can just not put him out there, but he has to be in the lineup offensively for a team that right now is starving for offense two for 22 in the series with runners in scoring position left 25 men on base. It's, it's been a continuation other than maybe like a couple of games, really just one game since I, I would go all the way back to game three of the red series that took place in Cincinnati. We're talking like back in late May at this point and, and sort of like the, the tail edge of mid May. It's been a long time and the Cardinals have only had a couple of performances, maybe two, the game where they scored five runs against Pittsburgh. I wouldn't even call that a, a positive just because of how many guys they left on base in the latter innings ended up blowing that game when the bullpen gave up six runs in one inning it's like, well, now what? Offense wasn't able to come through, so you, you don't get a lot of credit for the five runs you scored in one inning in that game. They scored a lot on Friday, and I got a lot of comments that said, well, why can't this team score other than just you know hitting the long ball? And that's true. They did a little bit of that today, but you only scored a total of three runs. And again, with runners in scoring position, there was like one inning where they had a nice little rally. Did a little small ball. Tommy Edmond had a, a chopper, kind of a swinging bunt, well-placed, allowing a run to score from third. That was like it for like the whole weekend when it comes to playing small ball and, and doing some of those things. Generally, I don't think small ball is the way to, to win a lot, 
But, like, when you're starved for runs like this Cardinals team, yeah, you've got to do the little things. You have to be able to move the runner over. Brendan Donovan had a double to lead things off, and he stayed planted there on second base. Later on, had another base hit, stayed planted there at first base. They can't move anybody over. I I made the comment that if you had a nickel for every time, the Cardinals really needed somebody to come up with a big hit with a, with a man on base or, or more, and instead they just popped up, just a feeble pop-up to, to an infielder, whether fair territory, foul territory, doesn't matter. If you had a nickel for every time that happened, your pockets would be jangling. That is for sure. And by the end of it, I hope you had cargo shorts on because it just kept happening. The number of infield pop-ups today were ridiculous. And to me, that's kind of indicative of you're just not taking great at-bats. And I asked Ollie Marmel if there was anything he could see, could could find from the at-bats that they're taking in the good times when the line's moving and runners in scoring position is not a thing that we're consistently harping on and they're putting runs together, they're putting rallies together. I asked him if there is anything that he can point to that's different right now about this team and the at-bats that they're taking. And he said that from an approach standpoint, he didn't really see anything different, but that he's acknowledging the pressure that everybody is feeling right now is kind of starting to add up. And that was kind of a theme of the postgame as the Cardinals are starting to acknowledge the pressure that everybody in that clubhouse is feeling and that it is sort of a, a cycle, a vicious cycle that can feed on itself. You're pressing too hard to try to do too much because of where the standings are and what the record is and how much urgency there needs to be to fix it. But in so doing, you lessen the potential to come through in those big spots because you are pressing and you're feeling the pressure and which creates a a bigger gap in the standings and so on and so forth. And it's something that Ollie acknowledged. Katie asked a great question about, does it feel like the team right now has to play perfect? And he answered in the affirmative and said, yes, that is how it feels. And Adam Wainwright was asked about, whether or not he agrees with that assertion from the manager. And he said, yeah, that pretty much actually sounds right. And you don't normally hear that from Adam Wainwright, where he's basically saying we don't have, and you can look at this a number of ways, but I, I mean, the way I look at it is we don't have the horses to overcome these little errors. Like if we make these little mistakes, teams are going to make us pay for them right now because we're not, and it's the phrase that I've used the entire season. I, 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 brought it up a ton back in April. And I think I put it in my story today for KMOV, KMOV.com slash sports. As I talked about the fundamental issues for the Cardinals, wrote about it, I should say. But the Cardinals are not elite enough in any one area to overcome the deficiencies of the other areas of the team. And I've got a few audio clips that I want to play, but that segues nicely into the conversation that took place post-game with Tommy Edmond as you'll hear a couple questions from me in this clip, and then I think it's Jeff Jones that comes in with one toward the end that kind of talks about that notion of the Cardinals don't have all of the elements of their roster of their team working in cohesion, and it feels like all year they've been chasing that. If the starting pitching is good, the bullpen might blow it, or you might have the the bullpen on point and the starting pitching gives you a good game, but the offense gives you absolutely nothing in terms of timely hitting or the defense might falter to make an outing by a starter look worse than it really was because instead of getting him the clean defense that you needed in the fifth or sixth inning, 
you end up making an, an error or like Arenado made a mistake on Saturday that, and I think he was charged an error for it, but it's just, you know, double pumping and, and not knowing how much time he had, which just, you never see Arenado do that. It's just the, the thinking the little things through and overthinking them and not executing that ends up costing your starters. So you have to go to the bullpen earlier and it's, it's a vicious cycle that has continued to haunt the Cardinals. And it's something that Tommy Edmond, I think brought up and, uh, or, or at least addressed pretty effectively. So I want to play this clip for you from uh post game. You'll hear uh, my voice. You'll hear Tommy Edmond. And then I think it's Jeff that comes in later. And we'll talk about that after we play this clip. Tommy, does this feel like kind of a period where the little things are starting to evade you guys a little bit? You're an organization that prides yourself upon making sure you do the little things well. Do you think there's any of that going on at present? With the- um, I mean, it kind of seems like it seems like there are things that uh, our team has typically executed on, and um, we haven't been able to do that as consistently this year, and that's probably why we haven't been winning as much. Is there a way to identify some of the runners in scoring position stuff that's kind of going wrong for you guys compared to when you're really going well with runners in scoring position and just keeping the line moving? Is there any tangible difference in the at-bats you feel you guys are taking? Um, I don't know. I think it's just I think it's just probably feeling pressure. We haven't won a lot of games, so everyone's trying to do do too much, you know, and everybody's trying to get that big hit, and sometimes when you try too hard, it makes you not do as well. Ali said that it feels like you guys have to play perfect to win right now. Is that something that you guys are feeling, and how like, does that replicate that pressure cycle? Yeah, I mean, we... It's been tough because we just haven't put together many games where we've played well on in all phases of the game. And it kind of seems like, I mean, you don't really have to play great on all three phases. As long as you play well in all three phases, sure. then um, you got a really good shot to win. And, and unfortunately, it kind of just seems like each day there's one that doesn't, that, where we don't perform, you know, whether it's our offense or pitching or defense or whatever. Um, and if that one side just does really poorly, then it doesn't give you a chance. You just kind of got to play pretty well in all three phases. So there it is from Tommy Edmond. It's the whack-a-mole theory, right? It's the thing we've been talking about. I, I think I credited Brandon Kiley with coming up with that first, but it's something we've discussed, and you're you're hearing basically everybody talk about now because it fits so well with what is happening to this Cardinals team. And you heard Edmond describe it pretty appropriately there. I thought you might have a day where just one of the wheels of, of this Cardinals team falls off, but... If one of the wheels is gone from your vehicle, you're not going to get anywhere. And Edmund said, look, you don't have to be perfect in all the areas, but you just got to be good enough in each of them, right? You can't have a huge glaring omission to the checklist. And it seems like right now, even if it's only just one thing, although it's usually more than that, if we can be totally honest, it's usually more than just one thing. Today, a little bit of bullpen issue when it when it comes to Jordan Hicks giving up that leadoff walk for the seventh time this season, tied for the second most in MLB, which I was surprised it wasn't even more than that. I guess there's a couple pitchers out there who are struggling in a, in a similar way for Jordan Hicks, but it's happened a lot, even even though he's had that whole month, right, prior to uh, this weekend where he was fantastic, didn't give up any runs for about a month in a row. He still has this as a mark on his season, and it's starting to creep back in, so keep an eye on on that for him because it's something that I think he was able to address for the most part for a little while there while he was having more success, and then the last couple outings he struggled, and uh, this is something that, you know, it's not just the walks to first batters either. He's given up like nine base hits, I think, to the first man he's faced, so it's been a, a problem for Hicks all year, and so that's that's one area where you go, yep, the, the fundamentals of, of that situation, Cardinals did not have that in check, and certainly defensively, 
it, it was a problem really all weekend. Um, well, not all weekend. Friday was a clean defensive game, and it helped them. It, it elevated their play. Saturday and Sunday, certainly the opposite. Uh, struggling with some of those those routine plays or those plays that it's just the little things that don't happen. Paul DeYoung sailing his throw to the wrong side of home plate in order to have Contreras be able to apply the tag effectively. It didn't happen, and you see the result of that. It just continues to spiral, and it's a snowball rolling down a hill at this point for the Cardinals. I mentioned it from Ali Marmel. He's the one who uh, was first asked about, does this team need to play perfect right now? And he answered in the affirmative. Adam Wainwright as well was asked about some of the things going on with the Cardinals team, and we'll play that clip for you from Wayno here. How difficult is this whole thing? You have all these talented players. You have all this tradition. You're not used to any of this right now. How difficult is it? Well, I mean, you know, I don't know how many times we can answer that question without giving you something different. You know, I mean, we're all very upset about how things are going. You know, we we, uh, we keep showing up and expecting it to be different and it keeps not being different. So all we can do is keep moving forward and, and stay positive. So you heard there in the question from Frank Cusimano just trying to get the insight from Wayno on how, how difficult this is right now for the team. And you can just hear the frustration where he's he's got really nothing left to say. And I felt like Arenado in in front of his locker was very similar with just kind of at a loss for trying to explain these things. I think Edmund, with what he said about play good in each area of the game and you're probably going to be fine, have a good chance to win, I think that pretty well describes it. But sometimes you've got starting pitchers that can't exactly speak for why the issues aren't happening with runners in scoring position. You've got the the infielders or the outfielders can't exactly speak for why the pitchers aren't able to execute and, and not walk a guy like Eli De La Cruz to make life more difficult on the team and and uh, maybe a pitcher that can't articulate why the uh, or an outfielder that can't articulate why the shortstop doesn't make the throw or why Contreras, you know, is on one knee and getting crossed up by Jordan Hicks instead of making sure that you, you prioritize that moment in the game and go, you can't afford to let Ellie De La Cruz get 90 feet closer to, to scoring a run here. So it's everything. And I'll say this, nobody's really pointing fingers at one another, right? Like you're not hearing teammates throw teammates under the bus, but you can hear the frustration from everybody that's just, hey, we know we've all got to be rowing this boat in the same direction. And right now it's not happening. Um, I thought it was interesting too to hear from Wainwright say, we keep coming in here and thinking it's going to be different. We're expecting it to be different. And then it keeps not being different. And if that's not the embodiment of everything going on for the Cardinals all year, I don't know what is because you've heard a lot about kind of trusting the process and got to see your way through it. But, I mean, it's possible that a number of things could be going on here. I know Cardinals fans are going to be the ones to jump to it and say, well, it's the manager's fault. And I I still, listen, Mike Matheny teams were really bad fundamentally. I there is a fundamental difference between the managing of Mike Matheny in those days and and what Ollie Marmel does and the level of detail, attention to detail put into it behind the scenes. You won't believe me. You think he's a bum. I know all these things, and that's fine. Like if you're one of those people, that's okay. We just are going to see differently. We're not going to see eye to eye on that on that topic. But like here's the other thing I would to, to kind of defend my viewpoint would kind of ask is is it possible that the players are simply failing to execute the expectations and the demands that the manager is putting into play? Like at the end of the day, I agree that the manager is kind of the guide of the ship and he's got to figure out a way to, to fix some of these issues. 
But, you know, I look at all of the different ways this roster has been a bunch of puzzle pieces that don't seem to have an obvious way to fit together sometimes. Like, they might be doing the most with what they have in terms of the way it's constructed. And that does fall back on John Mozeliak. But, like, Tommy Edmonds playing center field, and he he's, does a pretty darn good job of it. I know I was tooting the horn of Dylan Carlson, and I still kind of am. I think he's taking, uh, like, there aren't very many guys on this team taking good at bats right now. Arenado is. I won't even say Goldschmidt right now, but he he kind of ebbs and flows, and he'll be back. But Arenado had a triple to the opposite way today. He's I think he's still looking like himself. Brendan Donovan, I've been impressed with the at-bats he's taking for the most part. A couple hits today. A couple well-struck balls. And the other one is Dylan Carlson. I like some of the ABs he was taking today. He got absolutely jobbed on a called third strike that simply wasn't. Well, I correct myself. It wasn't a called third strike. It was a check swing that was not... It, I, I, the reason I said called third strike at first is because in my brain, I don't even think mentally that you possibly could have said he went around on the swing. Third base umpire did and called out on strikes as a result of it. But Carlson had a, a nice day other than other than that moment, which there was not really anything he could have done about it. Made a couple of great catches in right field, had a double into the, into the right field corner on one of the at-bats that he didn't get screwed by the umpire and drew a walk as well, I believe. Or a hit by pitch. He got hit by a pitch, I think is what it was. And so ended up on base a couple of times. But I was tooting his horn as he should be in center field. But I'm also looking at the Cardinals and what they're trying to do is, okay, it goes back to can they get Jordan Walker in the lineup? Well, let's put him in left field. Can we have a center fielder that can maximize the range factor and maybe cover some ground for Walker? That might be Tommy Edmond. I think he probably does have a faster uh, foot speed than Dylan even if the instincts in center field aren't necessarily comparable. But his instincts are pretty good. Like, Tommy Eben has better center field instincts than Tyler O'Neill, bar none. Like, it's not even close, in my opinion. I've seen Tommy Eben play it for a weekend, and I go, oh, yeah, T- Tyler O'Neill has the speed and athleticism to do that, but he doesn't do it. So, for me, I, I don't really have a huge issue with it. I just feel like Dylan Carlson keeps getting Wally pipped out of his position, even though he continues to really play a good center field, and right now is taking good at-bats, too. But again, if they're straining and bending over backward to say, we've got to figure out a way to have Walker's bat in the lineup. And because one of our better hitters, Nolan Gorman, is a DH most days, although today it was Donovan playing first base, Goldie getting the day off his feet as a DH, and, and Gorman was not in the lineup again. Gorman homered uh, on Friday, but then uh, other than that was over in that game with three strikeouts. Saturday was not in the starting lineup, and everybody was freaking out against the lefty. I thought he was an everyday player. Why are they going back to platooning him, basically? Well, he's not hitting as well. And then was 0 for 4 today with two strikeouts. And I know everybody is riding Paul DeYoung because he has been terrible. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sort these stats and give you some stats here over the last 15 days because that's a good little sample of a couple of weeks, basically. And MLB.com provides it and makes it super easy to read. So that's what we're going to use. Paul DeYoung has been brutal over that spin. He's got a 380 OPS, hitting 143 over the past 15 days, a 384 OPS. Tommy Eben has been worse, hitting 119 with a 363 OPS. And uh, I had it tracked today that over his last 57 at-bats, Tommy Eben is 5 for 57. It's like a 122 average. And so it's not just Paul DeYoung. How about Nolan Gorman over his last 15 days, hitting 154 with a 479 OPS. Wilson Contreras, 133 
with a 568 OPS. I mean, this is that's half your lineup, folks. Arenado's got a 1200 OPS over the past 15 days. Thank goodness. Dylan Carlson uh, has a 1600 OPS, but it's just been the, the the weekend, really. But like I said, he's taking better at bats. I homers in Saturday's game. I'm, he's in there every day for me. We're still a we're we are still a hashtag everyday Dylan podcast. If there was ever a doubt, uh, it's it's definitely still rolling in terms of that. But like that's what you're dealing with. You've got half your lineup or more or more. Really, it's been Arenado, Jordan Walker, OPS of 887 since he came back, and you got Dylan Carlson doing well in the the few games he played over the weekend. Goldsmith. Hitting 270, but no power, really. Just one home run over the past 15 days. But it's about half the lineup on a given day has been absolutely putrid over the recent stretch where the Cardinals offensively have been putrid, by and large. And you wonder where it comes from. It's not just Paul DeYoung. It's half the team. Contreras has been terrible. What The Cardinals thought they were getting a replacement for Yachty behind the plate, that had veteran presence that could handle things. Jury is still kind of out on, on what that looks like. The Cardinals, I do think they scapegoated Contreras for a lot of that stuff that was going on with the pitching staff. They tried to maybe keep some things behind closed doors and a little bit of it leaked out, and they wish it hadn't, and they, they probably would do it differently if they had it to do over again, but I don't think they anticipated the reaction, which is their own, you know, a, a completely separate issue. But a bigger problem than that might be Contreras's offensive production if he ends up being an albatross for five years at the plate. And that's premature. I I still think he's a good player that can come out of it. But, I mean, it's pretty brutal. Last 30 games for Contreras, he's hitting 138 with a 303 slugging percentage. He's got a a sub 450. Oh, no, that's not right. I almost said 450 OPS. His on base is 236 over that stretch. He's got a sub 550, though, OPS over the last 30 games that he's played. And he's batting fifth in every damn one of them, or third, or whatever. You know, if Gorman's at a lineup or they're facing a lefty, they move him up. That cannot continue. Jordan Walker needs to be this team's number five hitter tomorrow. I know that that might be a little premature, but Contreras is not giving you competitive at bats right now. I mean, really non competitive at bats. Feeble strikeouts, pop ups. And again, when half the team is doing it, it can be hard to identify what you need to change. And that's why when when fans give me tweets about the lineup or questions about the lineup, I go, yeah, yeah, I probably you're probably right. I would do that, but you at at a certain point, you're like, if nobody is hitting, you're rearranging the deck chairs at that point on the Titanic. And maybe that's what it would be for Ollie Marmol. And that's why, again, I just can't, I cannot look at Ollie Marmol's lineup construction or his bullpen management. Which, by the way, I think the bullpen management is almost always really good. It's just Cardinals fans wait until he gives up you know, whatever reliever he brings in, gives up a couple of runs, and then they can complain and say he's he's brain dead. He can leave a starter in too long, and that guy would give up some runs, and then they would say, I can't believe it. They should know you can't leave these starters in past five innings. Or he'll pull a starter in the sixth, and then I, you know, Cardinals fans are saying, well, why didn't he leave him in for the seventh? I just can't believe it. There's no old school pitchers in this world anymore. Why won't Ollie just let him go? I mean, there are, there's literally no way that you all can be right at the same time about some of the criticisms. But when it comes to the lineup stuff, that's where you lose me the most because it just is almost, what's the point? Half the team is struggling. 
and it's not just struggling. I'm talking 130 batting averages with an OPS at 500 if they're lucky for some of these guys. I just read off the numbers. That's not only Marmel. There's no order that he could put those that group of players in, and it's going to be looking better than it is before. But that being said, there are tweaks that I would make, and I would move Contreras down. I would have I would have Jordan Walker moved up. That's the one that I think is obvious. The other one that gets interesting, and they're talking about Tommy Edmond like he's this great center fielder, which I think he has great range, good instincts in center. The, the arm is probably not suitable to center field, but that's, you know, that is what it is. You can't have it all. But if they're talking about playing him at center field, it feels like one of those things that could end up, well, because we talked about it, we we, we pumped it up publicly, now it almost feels like we got to keep him in center field, when in reality the best thing might just to be play Dylan Carlson in center field because you actually might need your starting shortstop to be your starting shortstop again because Paul DeYoung has fallen off the, the face of the earth. And that you, you may need to have him sit some. I mean, that $1,000 I thought I was going to win, that's long gone. He's already below 732 on the OPS because he's he's been, you know, completely hapless for, I don't know, a month at this point, it seems like. I'll check it out. DeYoung's down to 223 on batting average, about 734 on the OPS. And in his last 30 games, he's hitting 189 with a 387 slug. So he's had some home runs still over that 30-game span that is that is pumping him up. But that's, a I mean, and taking a few walks, but tons of strikeouts, 36 strikeouts in his past 30 games, 189 average. It's back to, it's back to basics with Paul DeYoung. This has been the story of his career, unfortunately. He's a guy you root for, but I think you know at this point kind of what it is. And it's okay to acknowledge reality when he's struggling that you maybe need to not consider him a daily portion of lineup. But he is pretty steady for the most part defensively, save for the the, the throw that did, did hurt him today. He does do a nice job at shortstop defensively. And if he's actually hitting about what Tommy Edmonds been hitting the last month, it's like, well... Are both of them just in there as defensive replacements right now? It's because you have so many outfielders injured and you have Jordan Walker who's who's back and he's an outfielder, but he's deficient out there. And so you need to have your best alignment defensively to try to cover that up. Like it's a bad situation. It's a boat that's got so many holes where water is rushing in and you might try to, you've got this like roll of tape but it was actually the thing holding the oar together because your oar was broken. And so now you're taking the tape from that to try to patch up a hole, but now you can't go anywhere. Even though you're not sinking, you just you don't have an oar to get anywhere with. But, I mean, they're just having to rob from Peter to pay Paul. They don't have it all. A lot of teams don't have it all, but the Cardinals have enough deficiencies that it's just becoming very noticeable that they're scrambling in, in the way they construct the daily lineup and – construct a bullpen or construct the rotation. There's just so much going on that I am hard pressed to go look in the direction of Ollie Marmel and say, yep, this is this manager. I don't know what he's doing. No, I mean, you've had injuries to your outfield, but, but you've, you've had an organization that bet on certain outfielders and those guys haven't come through. Like Tyler O'Neill was a huge part of what they thought they were going to do on March 31st. I mean, he was high on the list of guys that, yeah, if the Cardinals don't get production out of him, the way they were plotting their roster, starting everyday center fielder, Tyler O'Neill. If you said they're going to basically get nothing from him, you go, yep, that's going to 
that's going to hurt the team with the way they have it planned out. It's just one example. Contreras is another big example of just the production that they're not getting from him day to day. The rotation is now the thing that you feel the best about. Maybe. Maybe not you as a Cardinals fan, but if you look into the numbers on it, I I might be able to change your mind. Michael is, for the most part, other than when he gets screwed by bad defense, doing a nice job. Montgomery is starting to come back around. Flaherty has looked good over the past five, six starts. Wainwright, I think, is your number four at this point. But you basically know he's going to go five innings and give up exactly three runs. He's done it in, like, more than half of his starts so far this season. He'll go five and a third every time he pitches. He has pitched into the sixth five times and has never pitched out of the sixth. Has never finished the sixth in five times over a total of seven starts. Like, I don't know what to make out of that. Again, he said, well, the soft contact just a couple of pitches away. Yeah, totally true. It's not not a false statement, but the walk is really what killed him in the sixth inning to set up the other things that happened. But if Wainwright's your fourth best starter and Libby can be even like serviceable, the rotation's not as bad as it felt like it was back in April. The bullpen is a bullpen. I mean, I don't think there are many major league teams that are going to always say, oh, we're happy with our the state of our bullpen. No, it's relievers are fickle. They are going to have bad days. It's just the nature of the beast. They do need one more bonafide arm, I think, out of the bullpen. But generally, it's okay. It's fine. But right now, this offense and just the complete lack of cohesion at bat to at bat to work counts, to swing at the pitches with intent to do damage and to move the line along, to come through with runners in scoring position, it has just flat out not been there. And I almost don't even want to look at the season-long stats because they still probably rank relatively high in in batting average with runners in scoring position because they were in the top 10 as of a week ago or so, and they were second in the league in OPS when they were playing that Rangers series. Those two had the top two OPS in, in, in all of baseball in 2023 with runners in scoring position. Uh, it can't be the case anymore, but I can tell you the Cardinals, have they're bound to be about one of the worst over the past two weeks or so. Going back to the middle of that Cincinnati series back in Great American Ballpark, 15, 18 games ago, whatever that stretch has been, they have simply been awful with runners in scoring position. And that's, I mean, that's timely hitting, that's situational hitting, and they have, it's like they don't have a situational hitting bone in their body sometimes. To have a leadoff double and then the guy doesn't move in the frequency with which something like that happens. It is jarring, and I don't really know what you do to fix it. You go, well, the hitting coach has got to have a better approach. Sure, he should be doing all he can. Ollie Marmel has to instill. Well, yeah, that that eventually these hitters just have to hit. And if they're not going to, remember, I've said, if they don't have a top five offense by the end of the, the season, they're going to lose 85 to 90 games. And I still believe that. And right now they don't have a top five offense. Over the past couple of weeks, I would reckon they're closer to bottom five than anything near the top. And it's kind of the same story every day. Better hope you hit some long balls because if you don't, probably not going to do much, which is fine if the long balls are coming. 
Like, that's why I don't like the, the characterization Cardinals fans do where they say, this team can only score on the home run, and that's terrible. It's like, if they're hitting home runs, it's not so terrible. Not scoring is terrible, though, and, and so, yeah, you'd like to be able to do it in a variety of ways, but home runs are going to get you there really quick, and so don't knock it until you try it. But I understand the point of you can't just assume that you can go up there hacking and connect for these home runs three or four times a game. That's not going to be sustainable. So you have to be able to adjust your approach at other times. And I don't know if they've been doing a good enough job of that. All he says he likes the approach and, and thinks that he's not noticing anything different about the individual approach of guys. And that may be true. But to me, it does feel like at times a little bit of, of a going through the motions sort of approach at the plate. And certainly, I don't think there is a situational hitting approach for this team, generally. It just seems like it's very, very rare and when we see him, it kind of comes in spurts, and you go, oh, see, that's what it could look like. But then it very quickly goes away. It fades away. And I don't know if that's just uh, anecdotally feeling the results happen or if something with the process of this team offensively is is more problematic. Because they talk about Jordan Walker wanting him to hit balls in the air. I can think of a few times that today it would have been nice to see the Cardinals hit the ball on the ground to the right side and move a runner along. Should that be what you're aiming to do all the time? No, because generally hitting home runs is going to produce for you. But if you're trying that and it's not working and you keep noticing that, wow, we're stranding a lot of guys on base, you have to adjust. And I don't think they've been very quick to make those adjustments so far this season. So it's in a bad way right now. There's still only somehow eight games back, but it feels like a whole lot worse than that. And I have definitely, to this point, I said before the weekend, if they lose this series to the Reds, it's another missed opportunity against a divisional rival. Forget the standings everybody's above you in the division. So any any divisional team you're playing right now, if you're the Cardinals, it's a big series. And the balance schedule means fewer of those series throughout the year. And so that's the situation that you're in. They lose another one. It was, it was bad enough when they only split at Great American Ballpark. Now they're losing series at home to the Reds. Um, the Cardinals have not played good baseball at home this season. I do think that's a problem. I think that's something that, you know, is indicative of a team in disarray. You should always you should always be able to play well at home, especially if you're the Cardinals. There's really no excuse not to be able to do it because you have one of the better home field advantages in baseball, right? Well, they're 13 and 18 this season at home. Comparing that to other NL teams, only the Nationals are worse in the National League in terms of winning percentage at home. Cardinals are five games below 500 in that category. Everybody else in the NL Central is at least. At a 15 and 16 mark, that's the Cubs, a half game below 500. Everybody else is is right at at or above 500. The Reds are a game below. The Cubs are a game below. Milwaukee, Pittsburgh, two games above 500 at home. The Cardinals are five games below 500 at home. They've played bad all year, but they've they've played bad specifically at home, where a lot of teams, even the bad teams, are able to kind of make up some ground there. No, the Cardinals basically have an identical winning percentage, home and road, and it's slow. It is a low winning percentage. Despite a run differential that is 304 runs scored, 305 runs against. They're basically dead even on the run differential, but they have not been able to win games. They have not been able to turn that into a decent record. I mean, to be the worst team in the National League, second worst team in the National League at home, and you play at Bush Stadium where you're getting 3 million fans every year, coming through the turnstiles, it's a problem. It's a problem, and the Cardinals have a lot of them right now. So I don't know what your thoughts are. Let me know. 
at bshafer12 on Twitter. Subscribe to this YouTube channel. If you're enjoying the Cardinals content, if you like the Daily Cardinals talk, Brendan Schaefer YouTube is the place to be. We'll do some live streams as we go along as well. A little tougher to do this week with uh, the Cardinals being at home, and so I'm, it ends up being pretty late. But we'll continue to have podcasts every day. They'll be posted to Spotify as well, posted to Apple Podcasts as well, and right here on YouTube too if you're watching there. So appreciate you guys as always for watching, for listening. I think we're going to wrap things up there, though. That's going to do it for this edition of the show. Send me your feedback. Let me know what you're thinking. Comment below on YouTube. Where are you at with this Cardinals team? I said my percentage is definitely below 50% now that they're going to bring the division down. I said before the weekend, if they lost this series, I would have to make that adjustment. Um, I've been relatively optimistic and confident, but over the last week, that's really starting to change as I look at this Cardinals team. And I just look at it and say, I think there are so many problems. I, I use the analogy, so many holes in the bottom of this lifeboat that they can only focus their energy on patching up a certain number of them at a time. And as Tommy Edmonds said, you you don't have to play perfect in every aspect of the game, but you got to play pretty well in, in all of them because that one that you don't is going to be the one that sinks you. And it's a different thing every day for the Cardinals sometimes, but it's always something. And we're to the middle of June, basically. Flag day is coming up in like a couple of days, right? That's always been Mike Claiborne's uh, barometer. And for the Cardinals, there's just no sign to me that they're about to get this stuff fixed. I think they have the offensive talent to do it, but when more than half of your daily lineup is hitting 130 over the last however many weeks, it's I don't think it's just spark going to turn around. It's got to happen, and it's got to be a collective effort. Getting on the same page, just going out there and playing can be to their benefit. I feel like it, like it's not an excuse, but it is reality that right now they are just playing not loose, not free, playing with that the pressure, the weight of the world on their shoulders. And I get it, but it's I think it's going to end up being counterproductive to this team being able to mount their comeback. So let me know if you agree with that, disagree with that in the comments on YouTube. But that is going to do it for this edition of the show. Appreciate you guys as always, and we'll talk to you next time on B-Shape Daily. Peace.